Hello, Catholic Divas. Welcome to Cycles and Sanctity Podcast. I am Mama Jane, wife to Steve for almost 37 years, mother of six wonderful children, fertility awareness instructor, and a Catholic mindset coach. Are you confused about your cycle? Do you want to learn how charting your cycles can give you insight, not only to your health, but your mental and emotional state as well? And most importantly, using this information to draw closer to God and pursue your path to holiness? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Go grab your journal and your favorite pen and let's do this. Welcome back for this special episode on Humana Vitae. I'm going to be continually reading Humana Vitae. We stopped at paragraph 17 and we are now on paragraph 18, Concern of the Church. It is to be anticipated that perhaps not everyone will easily accept this particular teaching. There is too much clamorous outcry against the voice of the church, and this is intensified by modern means of communication. But it comes as no surprise to the church that she, no less than her divine founder, is destined to be a sign of contradiction. She does not, because of this, evade the duty imposed on her by proclaiming humbly but firmly the entire moral law, both natural and evangelical. Since the church did not make either of these laws, she could not be their arbiter, only their guardian and interpreter. It could never be right for her to declare lawful what is in fact unlawful, since that, by its very nature, is always opposed to the true good of man. In preserving intact the whole moral law of marriage, the church is convinced that she is contributing to the creation of a truly human civilization. She urges man not to betray his personal responsibilities by putting all his faith in technical expedience. In this way, she defends the dignity of husband and wife. This course of action shows that the church, loyal to the example and teaching of the divine Savior, is sincere and unselfish in her regard for men whom she strives to help even now during this earthly pilgrimage to share God's life as sons of the living God, the Father of all men. Part 3. Pastoral Directives Paragraph 19. Our words would not be adequate expression of the thought and solicitude of the Church, mother and teacher of all peoples, if after having recalled men to the observance and respect of the divine law regarding matrimony, they did not also support mankind in the honest regulation of birth amid the difficult conditions which today afflict families and peoples. The Church, in fact, cannot act differently toward men than did the Redeemer. She knows their weaknesses. She has compassion on the multitude. She welcomes sinners. But at the same time, she cannot do otherwise than teach the law. For it is, in fact, the law of human life restored to its native truth and guided by the Spirit of God. Observing the Divine Law, Paragraph 20 The teaching of the Church regarding the proper regulation of birth is a promulgation of the law of God Himself. And yet there is no doubt that to many it will appear not merely difficult, but even impossible to observe. Now, it is true that like all good things which are outstanding for their nobility and for their benefits which they confer on men, so this law demands from individual men and women, from families and from human society, a resolute purpose and great endurance. Indeed, it cannot be observed unless God comes to their help with the grace by which the goodwill of men is sustained and strengthened. But to those who consider this matter diligently, it will indeed be evident that this endurance enhances man's dignity and confers benefits on human society. 
Value of Self-Discipline, Paragraph 21. The right and lawful ordering of birth demands, first of all, that spouses fully recognize and value the true blessings of family life and that they acquire complete mastery over themselves and their emotions. For if, with the aid of reason and of free will, they are to control their natural drives, there can be no doubt at all of the need for self-denial. Only then will the expression of love, essential to married life, conform to right order. This is especially clear in the practice of periodic continence. Self-discipline of this kind is a shining witness to the chastity of husband and wife and, far from being a hindrance to their love of one another, transforms it by giving it a more truly human character. And if this self-discipline does demand that they preserve in their purpose and efforts, it has at the same time the salutary effect of enabling husband and wife to develop to their personalities and to be enriched with spiritual blessings. For it brings to family life abundant fruits of tranquility and peace. It helps in solving difficulties of other kinds. It fosters in husband and wife thoughtfulness and loving consideration for one another. It helps them to repel inordinate self-love, which is the opposite of charity. It arouses in them a consciousness of their responsibilities. And finally, it confers upon parents a deeper, more effective influence in the education of their children. As their children grow up, they develop a right sense of values and achieve a serene and harmonious use of their mental and physical powers. Promotion of Chastity, Paragraph 22 We take this opportunity to address those who are engaged in education and all those whose right and duty it is to provide for the common good of human society. We would call their attention to the need to create an atmosphere favorable to the growth of chastity so that the true liberty may prevail over license and the norms of moral law may be fully safeguarded. Everything, therefore, in the modern means of social communication, which arouses men's baser passions and encourages low moral standards, as well as every obscenity in the written word and every form of indecency on the stage and screen, should be condemned publicly and unanimously by all those who have at heart the advance of civilization and the safeguarding of the outstanding values of the human spirit. It is quite absurd to defend this kind of depravity in the name of art or culture, or by pleading the liberty which may be allowed in this field by the public authorities. Appeal to Public Authorities, Paragraph 23 And now we wish to speak to rulers of nations. To you, most of all, is committed the responsibility of safeguarding the common good. You can contribute so much to the preservation of morals— We beg of you, never allow the morals of your peoples to be undermined. The family is the primary unit in the state. Do not tolerate any legislation which would introduce into the family those practices which are opposed to the natural law of God. For there are other ways by which a government can and should solve the population problem, that is to say, by enacting laws which will assist families and by educating the people wisely so that the moral law and the freedom of the citizens are both safeguarded, seeking true solutions. We are fully aware of the difficulties confronting the public authorities in this matter, especially in developing countries. 
In fact, we had in mind the justifiable anxieties which weigh upon them when we published our encyclical letter, Populorum Progressio. But now we join our voice to that of our predecessor, John XXIII, of venerable memory, and we make our own his words. No statement of the problem and no solution to it is acceptable, which does violate to man's essential dignity. Those who propose such solutions base them on an utterly materialistic conception of man himself and his life. The only possible solution to this question is one which envisages the social and economic progress both of individuals and of the whole of human society, and which respects and promotes true human values, unquote. No one can, without being grossly unfair, make divine providence responsible for what clearly seems to be the result of misguided governmental policies, of an insufficient sense of social justice, of a selfish accumulation of material goods, and finally of a culpable failure to undertake those initiatives and responsibilities which would raise the standard of living of peoples and their children. If only all governments which were able would do what some are already doing so nobly and bestir themselves to renew their efforts and their undertakings. There must be no relaxation in the programs of mutual aid between all the branches of the great human family. Here we believe an almost limitless field lies open for the activities of the great international institutions. To scientists, paragraph 24. Our next appeal is to men of science. These can, quote, considerably advance the welfare of marriage and the family and also peace of conscience if by pooling their efforts they strive to elucidate more thoroughly the conditions of favorable to a proper regulations of births, unquote. It is supremely desirable in this was also the mind of Pius XII that medical science should be the study of natural rhythms succeeding and determining a sufficiently secure basis for the chaste limitation of offspring. In this way, scientists, especially those who are Catholic, will be their research establish the truth of the church's claim that, quote, there can be no contradiction between two divine laws, that which governs the transmitting of life and that which governs the fostering of married life, unquote. To Christian couples, paragraph 25. And now we turn in a special way to our own sons and daughters, to those most of all whom God calls to serve him in the state of marriage. While the church does indeed hand on to her children the inviolable conditions laid down by God's law, she is also the herald of salvation, and through the sacraments she flings wide open the channels of grace through which man is made a new creature, responding in charity and true freedom to the design of his creator and savior experiencing too the sweetness of the yoke of Christ. In humble obedience then to her voice, let Christian husbands and wives be mindful of their vocation to the Christian life, a vocation which, deriving from their baptism, has been confirmed anew and made more explicit by the sacrament of matrimony. For by this sacrament they are strengthened, and one might almost say, consecrated to the faithful fulfillment of their duties. Thus will they realize to the full their calling and bear witness as becomes them to Christ before the world. 
for the Lord has entrusted to them the task of making visible to men and women the holiness and joy of the law, which united inseparably their love for one another and the cooperation they give to God's love. God is the author of human life. We have no wish at all to pass over in silence the difficulties, at times very great, which beset the lives of Christian married couples. For them, as indeed for every one of us, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Nevertheless, it is precisely the hope of that life which, like a brightly burning torch, lights up their journey as strong in spirit. They strive to live sober, upright, and godly lives in this world, knowing for sure that the form of this world is passing away. Recourse to God. For this reason, husbands and wives should take up the burden appointed to them willingly in the strength of faith of that hope which does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Then let them implore the help of God with unremitting prayer and most of all, let them draw grace and charity from that unfailing fount which is the Eucharist. If, however, sin still exercises its hold over them, they are not to lose heart. Rather must they, humble and persevering, have recourse to the mercy of God abundantly bestowed in the sacrament of penance. In this way, for sure, they will be able to reach that perfection of married life which the apostles set out in these words, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hate his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, as Christ does the church. This is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Family Apostolate, paragraph 26. Among the fruits that ripen, if the law of God be resultly obeyed, the most precious is certainly this, that married couples themselves will often desire to communicate their own experience to others. Thus it comes about that in the fullness of lay vocation will be included a novel and outstanding form of the apostolate by which, like ministering to like, married couples themselves, by the leadership they offer, will become apostles to other married couples. And surely among all the forms of the Christian apostolate, it is hard to think of one more opportune for the present time. To doctors and nurses. Paragraph 27. Likewise, we hold in the highest esteem those doctors and members of the nursing profession who, in the exercise of their calling, endeavor to fulfill the demands of their Christian vocation before any merely human interests. Let them therefore continue constant in their resolution always to support those lines of action which accord with faith and with right reason, and let them strive to win agreement and support for these policies among their professional colleagues. Moreover, they should regard it as an essential part of their skill to make themselves fully proficient in this difficult field of medical knowledge. For then, when married couples as for their advice, they may be in a position to give them right counsel and to point them in the right direction. Married couples have a right to expect this much from them. To priests, paragraph 28. And now, beloved sons, you who are priests, 
you who in virtue of your sacred office act as counselors and spiritual leaders, both of individual men and women and of families, we turn to you filled with great confidence, for it is your principal duty we speak, especially to you who teach moral theology, to spell out clearly and completely the church's teaching on marriage. In the performance of your ministry, you must be the first to give an example of that sincere obedience, inward as well as outward, which is due to the magisterium of the church. For as you know, the pastors of the church enjoy a special light of the Holy Spirit in teaching the truth. And this, rather than the arguments they put forward, is why you bound to such obedience. Nor will it escape you that if men's peace of soul and the unity of the Christian people are to be preserved, then it is of the utmost importance that in moral as well as in dogmatic theology, all should obey the magisterium of the church and should speak as with one voice. Therefore, we make our own anxious words of the great Apostle Paul, and with all our heart we renew our appeal to you. I appeal to you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no dissensions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Christian Compassion, paragraph 29. Now, it is an outstanding manifestation of charity toward souls to omit nothing from the saving doctrine of Christ, but this must always be joined with the tolerance and charity as Christ himself showed in his conversations and dealings with men. For when he came, not to judge, but to save the world, was he not bitterly severe towards sin, but patient and abounding in mercy towards sinners? Husbands and wives, therefore, then deeply distressed by reason of the difficulties of their life, must find stamped in their heart and voice of their priests the likeness of the voice and the love of our Redeemer. So speak with full confidence, beloved sons, convinced that while the Holy Spirit of God is present to the magisterium proclaiming sound doctrine, he also illumines that from within the hearts of the faithful and invites their assent. Teach married couples that necessary way of prayer and prepare them to approach more often with great faith the sacraments of the Eucharist and of penance. Let them never lose heart because of their weakness. To Bishops, paragraph 30. And now, as we come to the end of our encyclical letter, we turn our mind to you reverently and lovingly, beloved and venerable brothers in the Episcopate, with whom we share more closely the care of the spiritual good of the people of God. For we invite all of you, we implore you, to give a lead to your priests who assist you in the sacred ministry and to the faithful of your diocese, and to devote yourselves with all zeal and without delay to safeguarding the holiness of marriage in order to guide married life to its full human and Christian perfection. Consider this mission as one of your most urgent responsibilities at the present time. As you well know, it calls for concerted pastoral action in every field of human diligence, economic, cultural, and social. If simultaneously progress is made in these various fields, then the intimate life of parents and children and family will be rendered not only more tolerable, but easier and more joyful. And life together in human society will be enriched with fraternal charity and made more stable with true peace when God's design, which he conceived for the world, is faithfully followed. A Great Work, Paragraph 31 Venerable brothers, beloved sons, all men of goodwill, 
great indeed is the work of education, of progress, and of charity to which we now summon all of you. And this we do, relying on the unshakable teaching of the church, which teaching Peter's a successor, together with his brothers in the Catholic Episcopate, faithfully guards and interprets. And we are convinced that this truly great work will bring blessings both on the world and on the church. For man cannot attain that true happiness for which he yearns with all the strength of his spirit, unless he keeps the laws which the Most High God has engraved in his very nature. These laws must be wisely and lovingly observed. On this great work, on all of you, and especially on married couples, we implore from the God of all holiness and pity an abundance of heavenly grace as a pledge of which we gladly bestow our apostolic blessing. Given at St. Peter's, Rome, on the 25th day of July, the Feast of St. James the Apostle, in the year 1968, the sixth of our pontificate, Paul the Sixth. So there you have it, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, Humane Vitae. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the actual encyclical. I want to encourage each and every one of you to either Google it or find it on Amazon or something with this great technology that we have. We have documents much more easily accessible and things that we can actually read. But I always encourage everyone to get the actual document themselves, study it, underline it, pray with it, take it to adoration. And what can you do once you've heard this? How has your heart changed? I would I would love to hear your reviews of what your thoughts were, what came up for you as I was reading this encyclical. If you feel compelled to take some action, I would be more than happy to come and speak at a parish or a women's group. I do these things online. I do them in person. I'd be more than happy to do an actual class on the Billings Instructions so that anyone who would like to actually learn how to chart, as we talked about in episodes one through five, but actually need that help, you can contact me. I can do it privately online as well. I'm here to help you help the church renew and breathe life into the church as we respond to Paul VI and remember our duty and the sanctity of the marital act. Remember, I called this podcast Cycles in Sanctity because my goal is always your own holiness, that you grow closer to the Lord. That is my one desire. And so as I close this episode, I want to give you the blessing of St. Paul from the Thessalonians. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may the God of peace make you perfect in holiness. May he preserve you whole and entire, spirit, soul, and body, irreproachable at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Pope Paul VI, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. And next month, we will be talking about breastfeeding and how using breastfeeding can be a natural child spacing. You have a great week. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to invite you to the Uniquely Beautifully You program. The registration form is in the show notes, and I look forward to serving you.